welcome back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as Hello. usual. Hello. And uh, today uh, we have a very special topic. Um, Not a guest, a topic. No, yeah, we no longer have guests. Well, we do have <laughs> guests. But today it's a topic. It's, we've done this before. I think people enjoy these. So we're going to do a top five list. But we're doing it with a very specific individual. And Tony, would you like to introduce the individual? Oh my goodness, this is the first time ever. I think in the three years we've been doing this podcast that I'm doing an introduction. That's right. Whoa! Well, I'm a chauvinist. (laughs) Um, We are going to be talking about the brilliant, the awesome, the bold, the beautiful John Hughes. Yes, yes. We're going to be talking about our top five John Hughes movies. Now, let's clarify. Movies that he's written, because he's only directed, what, eight? Eight movies, yeah. So, we're going to go back to all the great films that he's written or had his hand on in some way, shape, or form. We all have Baby's Day Out, number one, right? <laughs> what? Let's not forget about Curly Sue. <laughs> and uh, we all know that all the the film aficionados or geeks uh, <laughs> would be get on us if we didn't specify that you wrote and directed these and not just directed. So yeah. we wanted to clarify that. Um, before we start with the list, I will, we'll go through everybody, but especially to start with Tony. What's your experience with John Hughes, and why is he special to you in, in, in any certain way? What is it about him that, that, that you respond to? You know, I think like most everybody else who's ever seen his films, there's just such a authentic quality about him and the way that he makes his movies. Um, obviously, he's the quintessential 80s teen how would you even describe it? Aficionado, if you will. You know, he just seems to have captured what it was like growing up in the 80s for so many people. I didn't grow up in the 80s, but but his movies tend to have a timeless themes in them, which I think are wonderful. Um, for me, you know, a lot of his movies, the ones he's directed certainly, speak on really great issues about loving yourself, being mm-hmm. true to yourself, um, having honor and integrity and self-respect. And um, the characters were just so great and memorable and fun. And, um, you know, they're kind of like feel-good movies. They're the kind of movies that you, you learn a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. They're heartwarming. But they're also, they make you feel good um, and somehow make you appreciate life and what you have. And I'm kind of an eternal, eternal optimist, so I really tend to gravitate towards movies that make me feel that way. And we all know that I love stylish directors, and John Hughes is very stylish, and his movies um, have a, uh, an aesthetic and just a, a certain nature about them that's just very John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My relationship is different where... Um, you know, when I grew up in the 80s, and that was his prime period, I didn't, I mean, I might have been slightly too young to really go out and see, like, The Breakfast Club or 16 Kids, not because of the content, just because they wouldn't be movies that would have appealed to me at that point. I was, like, a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> I was into, like, Ghostbusters and Batman at yeah. the time. I know that a lot of our cousins really loved a lot of those movies and, and things like that. But as I've gotten older, I've, I've gained a greater appreciation, especially now, for what he contributed to 80s culture. I think for a lot of people, yeah. he's one of the defining voices of what they think of as an 80s film. Absolutely. Especially that. what I mean, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and teen comedies especially. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had a huge influence on... He was that teen narrative. He was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like Molly Ringwald became kind of the symbol for, especially in 16 Candles, for like the outlier mm-hmm. teenager who's observing all the absurdity around her and mm-hmm. trying to make sense of the world. 
So I have an appreciation for that. Uh, Scott, what's your uh, take on John Hughes before we start? Yeah, I, I probably knew him more, you know, from... I think the movie I knew him most for was Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that was probably the movie that appealed to me most when I was younger. Um, but I knew of him for being, you know, this. he was always like the teen director you yeah. know, when you were younger. Like, he directed all these movies about the high school experience, you know. And I think he was one of, I don't know if he was the first, but it was more like more in tune with real life, what people were really... I know, like, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was, like, groundbreaking on that, mm-hmm. you know, and he kind of followed suit with that. Mm-hmm. So he kind of came to, to be at the, the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, you, as you're older and you look at him, he had, like, a... He wasn't just all teen movies. He had, like, this other side mm-hmm. to him, like, mm-hmm. about people going through the same stuff as adults, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find their place in the world as an adult, you know, going through things, so... I think his movies, they they are kind of of their time in a way, too. I mean, you have to look through that prism, but I think there's a lot of things that people, some of the, he doesn't have a lot of people of color in his movies and all that stuff like that you would have today, and uh, the treatment of women is bad in some of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. Yes. I'll get into some of those. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, uh, and I know he's been criti- criticized for that, too. Um, but it was of his time, I mean, not to make an excuse, just but yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, he, he. It was that national lamp. He comes from the national lampoon, mm-hmm. and it was this kind of that that point of view where mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he was what, which was very male centric. I think some of these stories are from the male, male. But I will say it's refreshing though that three of his probably best known movies had a strong female lead. They all happened to star Molly Ringwald, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, I think that's a redeeming quality, you know, to some of the yeah, I know she misogynistic. Wrote yeah, you know, she wrote an essay done, about it. But... I think last year, mm-hmm. but she, she said it was hard to watch some of his movies. She mm-hmm. loved them, but some of the treatment of some of her mm-hmm. characters, she was like, you know. Yeah. But uh, you just wouldn't have it in a movie today. It just no, wouldn't, no, it wouldn't not, no. But it's an evolution. You know? But he, he, his influence though, and I think Judd Apatow said that he just does John Hughes. Yeah, Judd Apatow says he does John Hughes movies with F words, you know, four letter <laughs> words. And I guess you can see that, um, but uh, we can talk more about uh, the individual movies, which I'm more excited to. But no, I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head that that was that we all said, and that's that similar vein that John Hughes had a really brilliant way of of bringing that everyday, every man quality to the screen. He was very realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, his movies aren't overtly glamorous from mm-hmm. production, and even to scripting, you know, they're real life scenarios. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly well, sixteen candles with the six sister getting married, are. and you mm-hmm. know the school the school narrative. It's mm-hmm. it's just very um, and even planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. You know, the, the journey getting home to your family, like it's it's real life scenarios and real life people, and I think that's what makes his movies so charming mm-hmm. and captivating, and why mm-hmm. audiences, you know, for thirty plus years have have enjoyed mm-hmm. his movies. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, they resonate with people, especially people who grew up in that era. But I even know kids that are starting to get into John Hughes mm-hmm. movies like The Breakfast Club and mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller. I'm sure we'll mention a lot of those as, yeah. as it goes on. But uh, So he definitely resonates. So as problematic as some elements of his movies are, absolutely. and even in Sixteen Candles, there's elements of 
we'll get if we get a into sexy it. Sexy girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that are problematic. Uh, I think it's good to celebrate the overall, the finer things that he did. So let's go ahead and dive into that, shall yeah. we? Okay. Uh, I'll. Um, do you mind? I'll, I'll go ahead and start with go mine. Ahead. So I definitely am glad. Save the best for last, me. <laughs> That's right, exactly. I'm going to go around to Tony. You can go last this time. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not going to pull a John Hughes on you with Molly Ringwald. I'm the Molly Ringwald of this That's podcast, right, yeah. damn it. My um, microphone cover is pink. I guess he could hold a grudge, too. Like, he didn't John talk to oh, yeah. for 20 years. He didn't talk Ed, to Molly Ringwald. Why? Or, Ed O'Neill said that, too. Because they turned down scripts of uh, his. Michael's, yeah... Well, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, I want to mention that I read an interview with Ed O'Neill, who was in the movie Dutch, which yeah. I guess he wrote. wrote. Yeah. Say that movie again. Dutch. Wait, you said right. Dutch. D- Dutch. <laughs> Dutch. It has to be sent with uh, a certain amount of authority yeah. for it to, to resonate. But um, Ed O'Neill um, uh, was in that, and he got along really well with John Hughes prior to the film and during the making of the film. But yeah. once the film bombed, he never heard from him again. So I guess he just didn't. Yeah, he take held, failure well. He held grudges, but everybody loved working with him. It's really bizarre. Like he, he would turn on a dime. But are we was... saying that a, a, a famed filmmaker is emotionally complex and neurotic? Yeah. Uh, that's shocking. <laughs> yes, um, but yes. So so anyway, we'll start with our top five lists. Um, so I'm really glad that we included movies he wrote and directed because yes. that makes it a much more interesting list for me. Because he, he was a writer. That was yeah, that's, that's primary. He was a writer yeah, slash director. That's what I think he would tell you he was he was yeah. a screenwriter he was a screenwriter who happened to direct his own yeah. films yeah. yeah um number five for me is uh from 1985 it's probably maybe the most john hughes movie he made uh the breakfast club oh this wouldn't have been on my list a few years ago but i happened to want revisit it recently on Netflix because it was on and mm-hmm. I started watching it. Sixteen Candles was on Wait there too. I thought you were gonna say that it was Dennis the Menace. Well, Dennis the Menace is that. Um, hey, <laughs> hey, we haven't gotten through the list yet. Uh, um, but The Breakfast Club to me, like I always thought, it was kind of a shallow, superficial film. It's like, oh, you're taking all these stock teenage characters and throwing them into one setting. It seems kind of contrived. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it recently, I said, no. He's taking those, the stock characters are there for a reason. He's taking different elements, and it is contrived at the beginning, but that's for a reason because it deepens these characters, mm-hmm. and you find out how nuanced and layered they are as it goes on. And, and how similar they are. Yes. Are. They become mm-hmm. s- specific individuals yeah. as you go through it. So he's trapping you into that. He's trapping you into the superficiality of it at the beginning and the, and the contrivances of it at the beginning so he can sink you in to identifying with each character in your own way and how they're all unique people. Which character are you, Sean? I am clearly the Ali Sheedy character. <laughs> ever. No, I'm probably more Anthony Michael Hall, probably, if I... I'm clearly Judd Nelson. I think most people would say I'm the Judd Nelson character. Um, I, I, people know these characters by name. I don't have them memorized like other people do. I'm not Bender. Judd Nelson because I don't wear gloves. Was it his Bender? Bender, yeah, that's his name. I'm the principal, really, now. I'm um, probably a mix between... Uh, 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 the uh, wrestler and uh, Michael the nerd because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think I have more of the personality of the nerd. A mix of them not the nerd I don't think I'm a per- nerd personality <laughs> I like him he was a great guy no I like him but I like like just uh, I don't have the daddy issues that they all seem to have but. 
I'll go with this. No, because Ed Wheeler is a standout human being. Yeah. Ed, my dad would be the principal for sure in this movie. Like I, he would. Love I, no, I'm the principal. That's who I am. <laughs> no, you're the janitor, Carl. Proctor. I'm the Carl. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, I'm, I was saying, Ed, I who love are you. you. Me? Yeah. Um, you know, this is one movie that I really don't identify very well with any of the characters, surprisingly. Mm. When I think back to who I was in high school, certainly, like, I guess from a, from a outside, exterior perspective, I would probably identify most with Claire, mm-hmm. Molly Ringwald, you know, the girly girl. Um, but I was, I, I was very well known in high school, but I wasn't popular in that snobbish way. I certainly didn't come from money. Um, and I just, uh, I didn't have like a, her character just has a lot of what I call kind of like bratty issues. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just didn't have that. I was, um, really mature. I took care of myself in high school. I just, I wouldn't have been in detention first of all. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to really truly identify with one of the characters, which is exactly why this was actually my number five pick too. Mm-hmm. Cause I recognize the brilliance in it for the same value and reasons that you do, but it's not my favorite. Um, to me personally, is Tony Lynn Sacco, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's really difficult for me to identify with one true character. Yeah, you know, for me, like, there's not really a character. Like, I'm probably closest to Anthony Michael Hall, clearly, if I had to pick I, you one. Know, honestly, if you think of them as each represent a certain part of your own personality, mm-hmm. it's different. I was just yeah. going to say like, that. There's part of Jed Nelson, like, you just get mad mm-hmm. yeah. and you just react out and then there's you can probably see yourself and then there's another part where you're the principal and you just want people to shut up and yeah. you know just do what you're supposed to do you know I definitely love you know Claire's outfit yeah. that Ralph Lauren get up I just realized each character has moments in the movie where they're kind of revealing their innermost thoughts and feelings. Like, even the principal has that moment with the janitor saying, I just don't identify with these kids. It's like, well, you're older than these kids. You're not the same age. You've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager because you're past it, you know? Uh, And he's, of course, supposed to be the smartest guy in in, in the whole room, the janitor who observes everybody. I like, yeah, Janitor Pearl. Yeah, yeah, he's... uh, I'll have to check that out. I don't... I remember it's like, oh, this is a movie that it's only in one location. <laughs> and they right. do a great, I mean, they do a great you know, job. I don't know if it's been adapted to the stage, but you yes, can easily, I just thought, yeah. Can you? I was going to say that would be a great state, like for a high school. Oh, that would be awesome absolutely. For a play Although they, they probably couldn't get the rights. Yeah, yeah but, be, but that would be yeah. You're right. Someone should adapt it. My biggest complaint about this movie, though, is the ending. Because I think up, up to the ending, it's a really strong movie for mm-hmm. what it is. I think it's it's a really but probably one of the better teen comedies or dramedies ever made in the last 30 years. But he almost undermines what he's trying to do with it when he gives Ali Sheedy the makeover. I was just going to say that is my biggest book. I, I hate, hate that. Because it takes away from the integrity of her character. It tells women that in order to be appealing, you have to conform and look a certain way to attract the jock. Yeah. Um, and it's just not believable. And I hate that. And I also don't like that Claire and Bender get together. No. That's not believable. They, I can see that maybe they'd be friends. Maybe she would open up to him and they'd have a laugh. But for them to be romantic and her to give him the diamond earring, it's un, it's not viable. I just don't believe it. They should have all stayed the same, yeah, leaving agree. as who I they agree, were. But they all should have left with a special kinship for right. one another. Kind of like a, hey, we're all in this together. Now when I see you in the hallway, we can smile and have that have something. I mean, I think it would be better if the Ali Sheedy and Claire had like a moment. Like be, where, if she loved, if she loved like makeup. Yeah. And she said, like, hey, I don't know if this is something that would interest you, but I can I can do something. And she shared something that she knew how to mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, 
the way they present it is like this full makeover. Like she has to completely change herself. That's to what be I mean. Acceptable. And it's not believable. It's not true to her character. In fact, Ali Sheedy actually has the same issues with that too. She said, "I felt it was a great character, great script, but at that moment, I felt like it just everything was lost." And I agree. And I think what they should have did again was make them all just close friends, like mm-hmm. have Ali Sheedy and. Allie, her name is Allie in the movie. Mm-hmm. Allie and Claire become like actual girlfriends to prove that you can befriend people from different socioeconomical classes or grades or whatever, backgrounds. Um, yeah, I think, and here, here this is shocking because I'm always the romantic. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the romantic elements in every movie. It's what I'm waiting for. But I think this movie didn't need it. No, it didn't. And I think it ruined it. I think when they got, you know, Allie and... Was Emilio's name in the movie, and mm-hmm. and then Claire and Bender together? It just didn't seem real. I, I heard rumors, and I don't, I can't clarify, but I have read rumors that this was a studio note that they probably put in with the makeover, and maybe some of those romantic elements, and maybe that wasn't originally Hughes's own intent with it. Yeah, he seems a little bit too cynical to have it wrap up that neatly. Yeah, but, uh, like um, he has good moments at the end, but he, his movies do have a note of cynicism in them, you know, for yeah. sure. I mean, we all can't, we cannot deny the epicness that is the simple minds. Don't you forget about me. It's brilliant. Yeah, and then, you know, where he lifts yeah. his hands in the air is like the F you, the man. I mean, it's just so iconic. And yeah. and you walk away feeling great, and that song's just incredible. Um, it's just an anthem, you know, for letting go and moving on and new mm-hmm. beginnings and my favorite musical moment actually is that was that we're not alone when they start dancing and oh, then yeah. that's that's yeah. my favorite when they put on the vinyl and they go do 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 and Alice well, Sheedy's I mean, doing that weird dance. That's a great that's a great scene that's like that's fun, but that that don't you forget about me song is just so it's so synonymous with that film. Yeah, and it, it's, it's the movie. You it's can't the separate movie. it. It's yeah. you know, it's the moon river mm-hmm. of of, you know, this movie. It's just so so just such an amazing song choice, you know, and I know if for the folks that are listening, if you follow us on Facebook, we, I made this um, really cool John Hughes playlist and we shared it the other day on mm-hmm. our Facebook page because, you know, John Hughes was a huge music buff and yes. he really, really respected that relationship between music and emotion and he knew how to um, hone that and leverage that and um, uh, he was pretty cutting edge, you know, in his time by picking these really offbeat or different mm-hmm. music choices to incorporate into his movies. But that one was a that was just a gold mine. Mm-hmm. I mean it really was. It's it's a it's a great choice. Uh and uh I, I'm glad that we both picked it as our number five. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Now Scott, what did you pick for your number five? Well I picked another movie that was synonymous with a song. Uh Weird Science. <laughs> <laughs> now now a lot of people don't know, and, and I, 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 I feel Isn't dumb. Is Anthony Michael Hall in that one too? Yes, he yes, is. he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, well, this movie's batshit crazy, and I think it's probably the most problematic movie <laughs> because your two lead characters, their whole goal is to steal someone else's girlfriends. <laughs> um, wait a minute, they designed like their own fake, their own fake girlfriend to steal right. other people's girlfriends. Oh that just God. seems counterproductive. <laughs> what? That, that, that's a horrible plot. <laughs> now, I, mean, I would have understood it more as self-centered as it is. At least they created it for themselves, even though that's problematic, too. But to use it just to get other people's girlfriends is yes, like, that yeah. shit crazy. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years, to be I honest mean, with you. it just seems but... very unnecessary. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if this is really my number. Like, 
fifth favorite, but it's the one I wanted to talk about. A lot. Oh, I was going to say, you just wanted to talk about it. I want to talk about this one, because <laughs> number one, the weird science song yes. is by Oingo Bongo, where Danny Elfman sings it. Yes. Which is, <laughs> I don't know people, the guy that sings the weird science song is the guy that wrote the Batman orchestration <laughs> thing, which is just... Mind-boggling crazy, yeah. Mind-boggling crazy. Um, yeah, so it, it's... Someone gets turned into a human shit. Bill Paxton gets turned into human shit at the movie, end of the movie. Not human Very shit. famously. He gets yeah. turned into shit. <laughs> I can't say human yeah. shit, but he gets he, turned he's into... He's a piece of shit, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally, uh, yeah. Anthropom- anthropomorphic <laughs> shit. Waving That's an hot. SAT word. Yeah. It's a precursor to South Park with Mr. Uh... But it is. Uh, there are some... Yeah. Um, um, yeah, Anthony Michael Hall's in it. A young Robert Downey Jr. plays the bad guy in it. He's the one that's getting oh, his girlfriend yeah. stolen. Um, um, it's just... Kelly LeBrock is actually the best person in this movie. Why do you say it like it's a surprise? Actually the best. No, but she's like, yeah. you know, you would... I know. All these yeah. famed actors mm-hmm. that are known for like, you know, and she was like a model, mm-hmm. you know, turned actor, but she she has the best... I think she has the best performance in the movie. Oh, without question. Without, does, without yeah. even question. I don't even mean to put it on... You know, it sounds you. it sounds yeah. bad, but she's charismatic and mm-hmm. she owns that role. You know, it's a batshit crazy role. I don't know why she can like create. She humanizes that. that role, makes it her own, yeah. and then she takes ownership of it. And that's something to, to applaud her for because back then in the mid '80s, she was basically probably cast as a sex object, but she actually brings a lot more to it than she's she. a genie <laughs> in this movie. She's, she's just, like, anything you she want to be. The time. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you can make a... Like, they do a uh, Frankenstein thing, but Frankenstein was a genie. And a beautiful a, woman to boot. <laughs> I can see Boris Korloff. They, they purged <laughs> Frankenstein and Aladdin into one film. Yes, that would be... Uh, yeah, this And is, John Hughes, you know. <laughs> but yeah, this is a... Uh, that's why when you were talking about John Hughes films are always based in reality, I always laugh like oh, this is yeah. my first one I was going to talk about because like this so one. So this is, is clearly the outlier, the <laughs> yeah, exception. Yeah. Well, he has a. There's another movie that I think is a little bit more of a fantasy, not to this extent, but it has like fantastical elements in it. Um, but it was more grounded in reality. Um, Baby's Day Out. <laughs> Baby's Day Out. Which I <laughs> Joe Montana, I think, is in that. Is it Joe Montana? Oh is it? it might be. I haven't checked the uh, IMDb recently. I've seen Baby's, Baby's Day, Day Out. It's, it's watchable. <laughs> um, but yeah, weird science. I didn't want to talk about Danny Elfman, though, because I watched the video and then was like, that's. I, did, I thought Danny Elfman was like the, the orchestra of. I didn't know if he was like the singer. Like he was yeah. the guy. Like, he sings in the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, That's yeah. his voice for uh, Jack Skellington. Yeah, yeah. singing. Voice. I, I am. I, I I hate myself for not knowing that. Um, I knew he was in the band, but I was like, I always because I grew up at the time. I always knew him from Batman. orchestra. Yeah, yeah. He, he's this great composer, mm-hmm. and I guess. You know what? Composers can sing. No, no, I, 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 you know, he became a composer because of Tim Burton hired him to do. Uh-huh. Oh, we see where science. He's like, oh, this is why these guys are together. Like, yeah, he did Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which I think was the same year, eighty five. Same year, yeah, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, that was a good year. You know, I was born that year. <laughs> That's right, you were. Back to the Future came out. That That's year right. Too. I wonder if uh, was this his uh, first Live Aid happened that year. That's right. Phil Collins happened that year. As a, <laughs> no, yeah. he had been around for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah that's you know, Susudio was written about me. That was 1985, too. Uh, this is sad. I know a lot about 1985. Yeah. Um, 
but um, but yeah, I like what you brought up Elfman because that I think that's Oingo Boingo is probably their most widely known song, like the song that they're playing. I guess they hate it. They hate. They the probably song. most fans hate. Danny Elfman hates 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 the the video for it where he's just kind of jumping around, you know. Uh, but it's things worked out for him though. He he moved on to a the bigger... things we do for money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think he liked it. I mean, he, he uh, yeah, the, the things that he obviously was a really talented guy. I mean, honestly, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oingo Boingo, they you know they have like a a new wave like punk. You know, they're a very influential band. I think you know mm-hmm. for a lot. Of, you know, they're kind of like a cult base, but. Uh, I know nothing about them. <laughs> I'm not yeah. gonna say I know anything about Oingo Bonga. I didn't yeah. even know that they did Weird Science song. Um, but uh, yeah, that's my number five. I'm actually gonna say my number four because we already talked about it. it was sure. Breakfast Club. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So we can go back to Tony. Um, yeah, what we said about the Breakfast Club was I think it's. Don't it's, you? It's probably I would say it's his most famous. Yeah. If you said name a John Hughes movie, I w- now you would name a lot, but I think a lot of people would. It's probably the most easily associated with him because mm-hmm. it hits. He has that Brat Pack cast, mm-hmm. yeah, and then he has the high school theme. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's easy. It's to, just quintessential. It's really yeah, quintessential. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the baseline, yeah. like Breakfast Club. I would even say objectively, it might be one of the best scripts he ever wrote on the whole. Like it feels mm-hmm. like a very centered movie yeah. to yeah. me, very complete. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the others kind of jump around, but their charms are maybe higher at mm-hmm. times. You know? Yes, that's a great yeah. that's a great yeah. point. So uh, that's my number four. So we can. Okay. Uh, well, that works out perfectly because I have a four and a four and a half. Oh, wow. I have, because I couldn't you have decide. Oh, you have six deep? I have one, two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. That's all okay. right. Okay. Um, okay, so my number four and a half is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. And my number four is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay. Well, these are... Okay, that's that's uh, two <laughs> two good two ones? monster movies there. So yeah, I, definitely. That's interesting order you have. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you talk. talk. Oh my gosh, Derek. <laughs> but, yeah. but what number are any of those on yours? Do you guys have them? Too? Oh, I'll, I'll say then this. Then we'll wait to yeah. do it for yours. Yeah. We can skip over. You well, know, Ferris Bueller is my number three. So okay, and do you fine. have any of these on your list yes. as well? Yes, Ferris Bueller is number four, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is number three. Oh my god! So, so let's just talk yeah, about. Yeah, we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, let's just go for it. But I will go with my honorable mention too, but I'll get to that yeah. later okay. too. Well, which one do we want to talk about first? Go with you, matter. and then yeah, Ferris. Which one is Ferris? On? Okay, because you and I have that at number four. So. Yeah, okay. That's my number three, so it's my perfect, first one. perfect. So yeah, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, I mean, I think it's this movie. Um, how can I say it? Um, I respect it deeply um, for its qualities, for what it brings, for the impact that it had. You know, Matthew Broderick is so just adorable and charming in it. I love. Um, the Cam- Cameron character, mm-hmm. you know, and Sloan. I mean, I want to be her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun, you know. I think it's fun, and and I definitely identify with that that two guys and being the only girl dynamic. Oh, it's a, that's that's really how I. I, I mean, say, look at us now. It's two guys and say, the only girl. It's, it's a great third wheel movie. Yes, because I think it really brings in the like Cameron is like mm-hmm. everybody has been a third wheel at certain mm-hmm. points in time in their life. You know, sometimes you're. Mm-hmm. It just varies, but that Cameron character, every, a lot of people can just relate to it, like, oh, he's the third wheel. But they both, 
really care about him. Well, that's what I was going to say. The thing I love so much is they each each have a friendship with him independently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's, I think, really special, too, is it's not like us, us three. I don't just have a good friendship with Sean. I also have a great one with Scott, and I have one with you, too, collectively. Yeah. And vice versa, you know, and I I definitely identify with that dynamic, certainly in high school and even now into my adulthood. Um, It's just a fun movie. This movie is definitely, it's a great, I'm homesick, so I'm going to watch a movie to make me feel good and make me laugh. you know, appropriately it, it, yeah, about being exactly. homesick. It has yeah. that, that kind of quality to it. Mm-hmm. It's just absurd. Um, uh, it's just a wild ride, but but uh, the characters are fantastic. It's very stylistic, which I love. It's a great showcase of New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it was my, the one the other movie I was referring to is more, more, more fantastical. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's grounded in reality more so than weird science, which is not. <laughs> But it's, and the characters are more likable. It's a much better movie than Weird Science, obviously. Ferris Bueller? Yeah. Yeah. But, but he talks, he breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Ferris yeah. Bueller's almost like superhero-ishly uh-huh. precocious. He, I don't know what, it's like. He is the quintessential, um, like, popular kid in high school that everybody loved. We all knew somebody like that in mm-hmm. high school who's the most charismatic individual that everyone yeah. gravitated towards. He's going to try. Like That's who he is. That's he's who just, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in green. He, and he's well-adjusted. He all, he has everything figured out. He knows exactly who he is. He's confident. That's the total opposite of his friend, you know. Like, yeah. uh, um, and I love the monologues too, especially that monologue oh, about yeah. socialism uh-huh. before he goes when into he's the, in shower. the shower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's... Isms, in my opinion, are never good. <laughs> and he goes like, yeah. John Lennon says, "Life is busy when things happen to you when you're making other plans." But he also said, "I am the walrus." So what am I? Or goo 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 I love that yeah. whole dynamic, and I'm a Beatles fan, so I appreciate yeah. that. I just think it's really charming. That's the best word I can can come up with to describe this movie as a whole. You know, the Ferris character. Um, and it has the big John Hughes. John Hughes always has that big like crescendo moment. Mm-hmm. It has the car moment. I think at Breakfast Club it has that. There's a moment with uh, the Judd Nelson character mm-hmm. where where the, the, it gets real heated. It yeah. gets really yeah. heated, and uh-huh. it's like that. He, someone yeah. hits like a drum or something. Mm-hmm. They have like a drum sound, like, yeah. and he does. That's with the car. Like, there's always like one of those. Oh yeah, Cameron. And Cameron, I love his impersonation of Ferris's dad when he's calling mm-hmm. on the phone. Oh yeah. I mean, he's just so good. It's just so silly. Um, but we all, yeah, I, I think the dynamic of the personalities, excuse me, of the characters are great, too. Because, like you said, Sean, we all know people that fall into each one of those molds. You know, the Cameron types, the Ferris types, the Sloans, who are just kind of yeah. along for the ride. Cameron is the anti-Ferris. He's a guy that things are struggle for him. Mm-hmm. His He has a problematic relationship with his father. And he's really, in a way, the protagonist of the movie because Ferris is well-adjusted. He doesn't really change. Well, Ferris is kind of like a cartoon character or a superhero. He's He's Bugs Bunny. He's Bugs Bunny. You're exactly right. Ferris does not exist in the real world. Exactly. But Cameron does. Sloane does. You know, Jennifer Grey does. Um, Charlie Sheen does. Charlie Sheen. (laughs) The principal. It's almost like a cartoon of Jennifer Grey and the principal. It's like a cat and mouse it is. We won't mention the actor's name who plays the principal either for yeah, obvious yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. But it's a talented man, and that's all I'll say about that. And the, I always like the Oh Yeah song. Oh Yeah, oh, another yeah. song that's synonymous with the movie. Bump, yeah. bump. Well, there's a twist and sh- there's always like a he always has like a um, a dance. Mm-hmm. Like Twist and Shout is a famous, you know. Yeah. On the parade. Yeah, I remember Paul McCartney uh, was commenting on that because they used the Beatles version of Twist and Shout in the movie, which was rare, but they put horns on it, and he goes, yeah, if we needed horns, we would have placed it on the 60s or something. But he liked it. He said he really enjoyed the movie. Well, John Hughes, I guess, well, 
anybody yeah. John Hughes' age loved the Beatles, so he had a lot of Beatles songs. Yeah, in right. I'm sure. That was rare. You didn't hear Beatles songs in movies in the no. 80s because the rights were so expensive. Mm-hmm. So to get that was... Yeah. And I was like the chase at the end, obviously the grand chase with Ferris trying to beat the principal home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. That song they played in the ow, ow, or whatever, yeah. you know, and he's like running through the... I love Jennifer Grey in this movie, by the way. So people who watch Dirty Dancing and think she's limited as an actress, she's actually a really talented mm-hmm. comic actress. She's great mm-hmm. as the sister. And that scene with Charlie Sheen at the police station might be one of my favorite scenes <laughs> in the entire film. Yeah. As problematic as Charlie Sheen can be, <laughs> he is a very talented comic, comic yes. actor. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I was going to say too that in 1986 this was huge like, oh, just yeah. like Back to the Future this was the water cooler having been that age this is the movie mm-hmm. everyone was talking about and it had the after credit scene oh was yeah, a, yeah when he comes back which yeah. is all the rage now but that uh-huh. back then was like oh it even made it even more yeah. you know and I love how like, and, and of course the closing line you know life moves pretty fast yeah what is it if you don't stop and take a take that's a look, the John Lennon quote from it. Beautiful Boy yeah, yeah life it's, happens it's to you perfect. when you're busy making other plans mm-hmm. which is one of his most iconic well no I mean Ferris says life moves pretty fast if uh. you don't pay attention or what does he say if you don't stop and look you'll miss it oh that's wow like, that's like the big line remember at the end yes like, that's right yeah that's right mm-hmm. I know where he quoted John Lennon's line too. wow that's mm-hmm. a, they're both riffs yeah. on the same uh-huh. theme that's kind of cool which isn't shocking I mean I think the Ferris character idolized John Lennon yes so he think. would yeah. come up with so that. he would come up with his own version of I mean what a what a star making role though mm-hmm. yeah Matthew yeah. <laughs> you're handed a Ferris Bueller. I mean he was perfect because I think you needed you needed a cute how can I say like Matthew Broderick is he's not like drop dead gorgeous okay it's not like Rob Lowe Rob yeah. Lowe would have been too pretty to be famous. Yeah, yeah, you know what too, I mean? Too. And Rob yeah. Lowe is just gorgeous and a great actor. You yeah. need it like a... You know who else would have done a great job as Ferris? Michael J. Fox. Oh, yes. If yeah, he yeah. wasn't playing, you know, Marty... I'm he, sure he, that he, he was considered. That, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have, you yeah, need that everyday you. man. Michael you know? J. Fox would have knocked this out totally. of the park. You know what else makes it even more ironic? What? Matthew Broderick was 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 uh, definitely considered for Alex B. Keaton. Was he? Yes. Wow. So, so the they were both yes. kind of com- competing yeah. for the same roles back then. Mm-hmm. So... But it's great that it worked out that way because he, yeah, he I agree. destroys this role. To oh, the fact yeah. that when you see him in other stuff and he's not as precocious or, or as mm-hmm. you know as sure of himself, you're like, what's wrong? Well, the best bit of stunt cat casting, uh, taking off of that um, conceit, yeah. is when he was cast in Alexander Payne's election as a teacher. Yes, yeah. it's one of his best performance. Mm-hmm. Like that, right up there, with Ferris. Right. He's is, going after like the the Ferris. Yeah, yeah he's he's become what he hated. You know. Yeah. Kind of. That's great. So that's great with Ferris. Uh, we're on number four. I think Scott, what's your... She, she oh, had you had... Yeah, Play, the, um, uh, planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Was your number three. Was number four. Your, what was your four? four? She, had, she had six. Yeah, Ferris Bueller was oh. four and a half, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles <laughs> oh, okay, was four. Okay. Sorry about that. I, uh, planes, was that on somebody else's list, too? Uh, it's it's not on my list. It's on mine. Okay. Um, okay. It's going to be number three, but I'll let you start. So Ferris was your number four? Yes. So now we're at your number three. So let's yes. do you. Yeah. Okay, so we'll start okay. with yeah, the planes, yeah, yeah. trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Don't worry, people. We uh... <laughs> There's enough John Hughes movies yeah. to go around. This is a complicated mathematical uh, situation here that we're working out. I'm just a rebel. That's yeah. right. I love that, actually. <laughs> I love that you came with a four and a half. <laughs> After Scott Nate mentioned Pinocchio as one of his favorite coming of age I think movies. I broke up the... I think yeah. I that was probably the best moment on this podcast. That yeah, might be, yeah. We shot and I were in shock. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is so... <laughs> So, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, like, 
I, I really begin to appreciate this movie more and more over the years. I love the two principal leads. Mm-hmm. Steve Martin, as we've covered on the podcast, mm-hmm. was a huge yeah. hero of mine uh, during my youth. And I love John Candy. Love I John Candy. Candy. Yeah. Um, and I think I appreciate their work in this. I think the movie in, in, is really well written and it's really well con- conceived. And I think my favorite scenes in the movie are the intimate scenes when they're getting to know each other, especially mm-hmm. that hotel scene. That's what yeah, sets it over for absolutely. me. Absolutely. That scene where Steve Martin goes off mm-hmm. on John Candy's character, mm-hmm. complaining about how he talks too much and how he's yeah. annoying. And mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it's funny, but it's also cruel. It's yeah. really, and, and Steve Martin knows he's being cruel, but he just, he hits his limit. Yeah. yeah. And John Candy's reaction to that, they call it the, the Chatty Cathy well, scene. Well, he, he reacted with so much grace yeah. and strength. Yeah. You know, he didn't get angry back. He just looked at him and said, you know, I like me. People mm-hmm. like, my customers like me. My wife likes me. And it, it, It's a, such a moving mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. And I, and it, I, may, it gets me emotional, like, just thinking about it. Like, wow. No, it's, it's a, it's. Yeah. And then when we learn that his wife has passed away. Yeah. It, it stirs up an even, you know, deeper emotion in there. Because it just, there's a sad, such a sadness. Well, the reason I love that scene so much, and I love his acting, and some of the best acting I've ever seen in any film, is John Candy's reaction to that scene. And C. Martin's great, too. I mean, yeah. he you can tell he feels awful after it finally comes out. Like, this is, I went too far. But John Candy, it's like this combination of vulnerability. Like, there's, there's a real hurt there. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like, this independent strength in, like, like self-defense of character that mm-hmm. comes out. And it, it, yeah. that's that, that combination that just really gets to me. Like, this is a lonely man who just wants to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and it's, it's so tough for him. And, uh, you know, yeah. I did, it affects me. I mean, it's one of those scenes that really gets to me because I get, it, we can yeah. all kind of relate to that, being Absolutely. feeling that way. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's great because it, it, it's a character that could be a cartoon and it completely just... T- takes that out of it. It takes it. It brings the humanity. Down. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's just like he's just you know, yeah. I mean that because he was playing the John Candy. Mm-hmm. What what you think of John Candy? The, yeah. What he gets hired to play? Yeah. You know, just like a rote movie. Although he didn't play this character a whole lot. He played in a few. Um, but he. Uh, um, yeah, it's just I I I agree. This is my five and a half by Tony Rose. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I I, uh, I really enjoy this movie too. Um, it's very heartwarming. Yeah, and um, I think it takes you off because the two leads are two mm-hmm. of the funniest, mm-hmm. especially at that time. Yeah. At that yeah. time, that it's not mm-hmm. an over-the-top funny movie. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a movie that you have to kind of adjust to to watch it because it's like you're not going to get the. Steve Martin that you love. He, this is when this started. is the Steve Martin I love. Yeah, this yeah. is the, yeah. This some is people love this part. Some yeah. people yeah. talked about that yeah. when we did the jerk, and and I remember Jeremy Pelzer was our guest, and he and I were yeah. Yes. We like the more serious yeah. Steve because yeah, there's yeah, two. Yeah, there's two, and of for, course this is more of the Steve of my generation. You know, when I was coming up, the Father of the Bride, and that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But um, no, I think Steve Martin's great in this movie as essentially the straight man. You yes. Know, the the got he's got his life together. Mm-hmm. Um, Neurotic, you know, control mm-hmm. freak, but but the straight man nonetheless, you know, to John Candy's bigger than life character. Yeah. But um, no, I just think this movie is just so heartwarming. It's it's really touching. It's that classic holiday journey, just trying to get home to your family, you know. And mm-hmm. and it's a reminder of how lucky we are to have families. 
you know, the holidays, especially when you're traveling, are a really crazy time and hectic, and, and we, a lot of times we lose sight because we're caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the stress and the strain of just getting to where we're trying to go or the financial aspects of doing that and just whatever it is that might be bogging you down um, that we often lose sight of the humanity and, and the heart and the hearth that's a part of the holiday season. And this is just one of those movies I think especially it resonates with adults because it's more, you know, it's an adult uh, situation. Yes. Um, John Hughes has a lot of movies about travel if you think mm-hmm. about it. This is, a, I, I think, a movie where he transitioned away from the teen comedies mm-hmm. he was getting to be known for into mm-hmm. more family-oriented, or not family like, oh, it's family entertainment, but movies about adults with families or yeah. adults, you know, like he yeah. seemed to be moving away from the teen comedies yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I think when he started as a writer, he wrote a lot more like this. Yeah. And then he went to the teen mm-hmm. when he went in the movies, and then he kind of came back to it. Because a lot of his early stuff is about being a dad. Yeah. About like he wrote Mr. Mom. Uh-huh. Yes. You know, yep. and uh, you know other movies that. And yeah, and this movie's about family. It's about friendship. The mm-hmm. holidays season mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, intertwined and woven throughout that. But, um, yeah, it just it, it, when it comes to a, to a film, it has just everything I love. You know, you got the humor, the fun, the excitement of you know the travel, the journey aspect mm-hmm. of it. That's always makes for a great story. Um, but then you have the the humanity and the compassion, and um, just all of those reminders. You know, I also think about the scene when they finally do get to where they're going, and and Steve Martin's character gets off of I think the train when they're in Chicago, and and then he he just has an in- intuition that John Candy's character is still there, and he goes back and sees him, and he's got mm-hmm. his trunk and everything that he owns with you know on his back, and. Um, yeah, when Steve Martin just says, "No, you're coming with me," mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just a great it's it's um, a great story, a fantastic reminder of how we need to be with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, what was what else was I gonna say? Um, it's just really beautiful, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just really beautiful. And then when Steve Martin introduces uh, him, John Candy, to his family and how. They embrace him, and it just makes you whatever troubles you're dealing with, whatever's going on in your life in the world. This is kind of one of those movies that that makes you stop and say, "Hey, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. This is what matters." You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and this is I, what life's about: family, friendship, love. That's that's absolutely true, and I I think for me, like I think the main reason I, I'm affected by this is that Chatty Cathy scene. That's like one of the mm-hmm. best scenes I think I've I've witnessed in any film. It, it affects me on a personal level. I did see an interview with Emma Stone of all people, who claimed this is the best piece of acting she's ever seen. Her favorite performance mm-hmm. is John Candy, and she was doing it with all these critically acclaimed actresses like Annette Bening, who mm-hmm. oddly enough has worked with John Candy and and Dan Aykroyd mm-hmm. and. And Amy Adams and people are like, why that? And she just says, it just affects me. Like, mm-hmm. John Candy is just this vulnerable person and mm-hmm. is so relatable. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. It's probably the most timeless John Hughes movie because there's no... 
Yeah, you, you could you, easily. Yeah, like, you watch yeah. it. Like, yeah. there's nothing like, oh, that's easy. Like a lot of it. I mean, are... the only setback that you'd have is a technological <laughs> standpoint, because nowadays you can get a call in Uber. Yeah. Or you could find a quicker way home well, than you could back in 1987. There's a list of movies that would be yeah, two minutes long yeah, if you had exactly, the phone. Right. Exactly. So thank so God we like, didn't have technology. Yeah, I mean, better stories. Better, better no, movies. But yeah. I see what you mean. The yeah. story is it's, very timeless, yeah, and, yeah. and that's that's that you'll see you'll see that trend probably in a lot of the movies that I like by John yeah. Hughes is that there's a, just a timeless quality to the story or the script. You could easily adapt it into today's time mm -hmm. or any time but yeah i think this movie just touches hearts and evokes feelings for mm -hmm. the same reasons we've talked about emma stone there's just something about it um that that it, it's i think it gets overlooked mm -hmm. yeah it does i think it's coming back though i, I really i hear a lot of people does talking people about that talk yeah. yeah especially during the holidays a lot of yeah. people consider it their thanksgiving now everybody movie. Yeah. Yeah. it's like yeah. the thanksgiving movie mm -hmm. now so mm -hmm. Tony, I guess he would be number three because you... <laughs> well, I'm going to keep the train rolling yeah. with John Candy. My number three movie is The Great Outdoors. Oh, The Great Outdoors. I just okay. love that movie. Like, I, I I, can't even explain it. It's it's one of those movies that I loved watching on TV as a kid. Just And even now, if it comes on, I love it. Remember, we watched it a few years ago. Yeah, I was we so were trying excited. To, there's, a, there's a song that we were trying to yes, find. Yes, if <laughs> anybody knows. Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. But well, Scott but, and I saw it at the same drive-in drive oh, yeah. theater that we saw Ghostbusters in. Yes, so yes. that's another shout-out. It's just such a fun movie. I love the whole camping aspect, the family vacation quality, the, the in-laws, the you know cousins, um, the tradition. It's And then, of course, you know, I mean, John Candy's just so great. I love mm -hmm. watching him. But um, I don't know. There's just something really charming about this movie. I keep using that word because I, I don't know. John Candy is just to me like synonymous with charming. But uh, I just love this movie. I think it's funny. It's silly. It's uh, it has its really sweet moments. Um, it's goofy with the with the raccoons and the trash. And it yeah. just, there's it's, like it's it's a classic Hollywood. Yes. It's a classic Hollywood movie, and that they just like we're just gonna put two great comedic actors uh -huh. in a movie and then have like a, a premise mm -hmm. like they would do in the 40s or something like a screwball You're like let's put it is. Catherine it's Hepper like a screwball. And like, you you're know. exactly right yes. yeah uh, it, I don't think it held up for me as much watching it but I have fond memories mm -hmm. watching it as a kid because it was one of the first movies I remember watching at a like a drive-in or a theater mm -hmm. and I remember the bear scene where they hit him with the blunderbuss mm -hmm. and the bear's ass is you know and um and uh, John Candy playing that John Candy role where he's just kind of the... The bumbling dad. The bumbling dad. Yeah. And Dan Aykroyd playing his with it kind of... Kind of like... Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of like Bassomatic. Come to, like, That's the Bassomatic yeah. character yeah. he's playing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. The, 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 the shyster, the con man, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Annette Benning, like we mentioned uh -huh. earlier, plays his wife in yeah, that movie. Yeah, one of her earlier films. Yeah. yeah, it's just one of those movies when we think about movies that we that we enjoy personally for whatever intrinsic value. This one just immediately was like, oh my god, I love The Great Outdoors. I just do. Anytime, like when I was a kid, if I'd see it at the movie store, I even, I think I might have it on DVD too, like, it's just, I don't know, there's something about it I really like. It's just one of those movies I love to pop in at night if I can't sleep or if I'm homesick. Mm -hmm. It's just that, that kind of movie. There's nothing incredibly remarkable about it. Um... Yeah. But yes, and I and I love you know I think uh, well in '87 I was just a couple years old, but in the '90s as I would, as it would come mm -hmm. on TV, you know when I was in my 12, 11, 12 or whatever, I always liked you know I thought Buck was cute and I liked the whole yeah. him and the girlfriend mm -hmm. you know dynamic and 
that scenario because that was very reminiscent of when we would go on vacations. There was always some cute little boy that I would meet and never see again. <laughs> you know, and I mean, you just relate to that. And uh, um, I just thought it was sweet, but getting to Buck and Cammy. So, yes, there's this song. There's like a theme song that always plays every time they're together. <laughs> I have tried desperately to find it. Cannot. Oh okay. wow! Like we'll have to play a clip of it. I think when we do the editing. Okay, so listeners, if you can find please, the song please. in the great outdoors, it's, it's not on the soundtrack because I've looked. <laughs> I've even went to like forums. Hey, does anybody know the song? <laughs> that plays? Seriously, it's just such a beautiful '80s. It's probably some weird, stupid throwaway thing that they found in the trash, and they're like, oh, "This, this will work," happened. but mm-hmm. it, it does work, and it's awesome. And I just think it's a really beautiful song, and it just reminds me of them too. And their their scenes were always so sweet and innocent, you know, very coming of age. Um, and so I think I identify with that in this movie too. That makes me like it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just a fun movie. That's great. You know. So, uh, what's your number three, Scott? My number three was Ferris Bueller. So we oh, were, okay. so we're on. Uh, so we're on, uh, number, we're on number two now. What number was two. your number three? Uh, Mine's three. planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay. uh, I was in. The, you and I had a similar uh, makeup with that. So I can start number two. Yeah, yeah go ahead and start number, number two. two. My number two is the stay on the John Candy thing is Uncle Buck. Ah, and uh, that's my honorable mention. Yeah, but this oh, is. Okay. I think this is my. I, Number one, I think that this movie is just, uh, of the ones he's directed, this is my favorite. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's just like the most like charming and, and uh, has a distinct story to it. It's the most relatable. Um, I have a soft spot because my mom, this is my mom, one of my mother's favorite, uh, my, our mother's yeah. favorite movies. Um, but it's great. I mean, interaction between them and Macaulay Culkin is amazing. Um, John Candy just kills this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. this is probably... Like his best, like star, like he is the star of this movie. Everybody else is just kind of like a. There's no other like famous well, people besides right. Macaulay Culkin in the movie. Well, this movie was clearly a vehicle for. John yes, Kane. exactly, and it was it was on him a lot to mm-hmm. to um, do a lot of the. Um, I mean, he had the teens part of it, but it's like a combination between the teenagers and the kids, where he those teenager issues that he has in his other movies, and. Those other adult issues of like you know, you're a loser. You don't have a job. You know you you're you, you're you're not amount to anything. You just you're not dependable, and uh, they kind of combine into one movie. So I think it's uh, John Candy. I think it's hilarious in this, and he just he could effortlessly do this role, you know. In his sleep, <laughs> like, like I mean, is, it kind of is what you would expect John yes, to be like. Yeah, just like, but it's it's so easy to watch, and so I I really enjoyed this movie's. I really like this movie a lot. I remember resenting the daughter a few times, even though I know she's a moody teenager yeah. and stuff. I remember as a kid going, "Man, you have a great uncle. Appreciate yeah. it." Yeah, she's mean <laughs> to him. She's very mean to him, and like, kind of like a. I know they have to have like that journey where they kind of combine and yeah. yeah. But uh, they probably don't give you enough information why she's that way as much as probably you would want, you know, but... There's a lot of resentment. Like, she's going through a typical teenage yeah. cycle where, you know, but it's... it's The role is pretty shrill, in a way. Maybe that's the problem. But maybe it's built to have a contrast with Buck so they would have a conflict. But when Isn't they, that like, funny that he named two characters Buck? Because the son in Great Outdoors was Buck? Yeah. yeah. It must His be something to Buck. that, yeah. Yeah. 
Uncle Buck. Which is not like a common, you know. There has like to be name. something there. Yeah. Scott's right too. This is one of my mother's favorite movies. Like she she's seen a lot of classics. She's seen Casablanca, and she has very sophisticated taste in movies. But she always says Uncle Buck's one of her favorite Aww, movies. That's sweet. I, I, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's kind of like the same reason why I just like great outdoors. I mean, there's you, you know, just like just, a movie. you just like a mm-hmm. movie. Something you do. about it resonates with you, and you feel it. But this is a fun movie. I, I think anybody. It's a good family movie because it's not overly sappy or mm-hmm. or overly. The kids are fun without being like so yeah. ultra cute that it's just like. That's how they are in the great outdoors. They yeah. have like personalities mm-hmm. and they have their own stories kind yeah. of going on. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and it made Macaulay. It was Macaulay Culkin's star making. You can see why he was cast for like Home Alone. Home Alone. Uh, oh, the interrogation scene. Yeah, the, uh, it's the like the Dragnet interrogation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, Tony, what's your number two? Well, carrying on with Macaulay Culkin, my number two is Home Alone. Home Alone. Oh. Now you have to remember when this came out in 1990, Christmas time, 1990. I turned five. I was at that ideal age. I mean, this movie couldn't have been made more for me mm-hmm. um, at that time, you know. I mean, gosh, golly, what what can we say about Home Alone? I think we talked. I think you might have probably talked about this on our Christmas podcast. Yeah, it was one of my lists. Yeah, it's just a phenomenal movie, heartwarming, charming, endearing, funny, um, thrilling at times, uh, timeless, just beautiful. This movie is like so um, aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. Everything about it, the color choices, and if you notice, the house is all decorated in red and green. Mm-hmm. That was by design. Like even just the way the home is, um, not just for Christmas, but I mean the color schemes in the yeah. home. Because John Hughes wanted the house to just radiate Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a fantastic, fun film. It holds up. Kids, my niece and nephew, they love this movie. Um, the music's beautiful. Yeah, it's John a, Williams did the John score. Hughes, <laughs> yeah. This, this I feel yeah. like is like John Hughes' big blockbuster. This yeah. was like his Titanic. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the the production quality, everything is like top notch. Catherine O'Hara, John Candy, um, uh, you know Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel yeah. Stern. I mean, it's just a top notch production. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a fantastic, timeless Christmas movie. You know, it's the elf of its time. Well, there, there are a couple uh, tidbits on Home Alone that I want to bring up. Number one, the screenwriter, or the director, I'm sorry, the director, Chris Columbus, mm-hmm. graduated from the same high school as Scott and I, John F. Kennedy wow. High School in Warren, Ohio, wow. a decade or so, maybe 15, 20 years before we graduated, or I graduated at least, yeah. and uh, he also wrote Gremlins. And, mm-hmm. That was his big break. That was his big break. So he's a hometown hero for a lot of people. The second thing I want to point out is I'm a big fan, and I hope we cover it on the podcast this year at some point, is of Martin Scorsese's After Mm -hmm. Hours. And the two parents in the movie, Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd, are both in that movie in radically different roles. So if you're a fan of Home Alone, I urge you to go watch After Hours just to see the McAllister parents separated. John John Hurd is in... Yeah, his cast is... John Hurd's an amazing actor, by the way. He's such a great actor. He's a great actor. And he was a great, like... He just played that great dad in this movie, you know. Another travel movie by John mm-hmm. Hughes for issues with travel. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they lose the kid when they're going on a trip. Mm-hmm. Police trains an automobile. So it's, he, he has some, th- and, <laughs> some and things it, that John and Hughes And it also hones in on the importance of being grateful for our families. 
Yes. Yes. Just like planes, trains did. John Candy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has all. We're that. getting to the ultimate one in a minute with me, by yeah, the way. Yeah. So I won't mention that. Uh, but yeah, John Candy's in it. It's mm-hmm. based in Chicago. I mean, it's got all the John Hughes, uh, all the tropes. the tropes. I don't know if this, exactly. yeah. this is. I think this is more a John Hughes movie than a Christopher Columbus movie. Even I would say. Well, yeah. it's definitely the script for it's sure. The script. Yeah, and the actor. I think he produced yeah. it. Uh, he was heavily involved. He hired Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus wasn't a big name director before this movie. He no, did he did uh, a movie called. Um, I think it's called Heartbreak Hotel about El- uh, somebody kidnapping Elvis Presley, which was a bomb. It was considered one of the worst movies. And I think he also directed Adventures in Babysitting. Which is a good, a good movie. Which is a Fun. good movie, yeah. yeah. Um, but he um, would, would go on to direct, uh, I think it's Nine Months with, with Hugh Grant oh, and yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire. And, Moore, yeah. and then he would eventually direct the first couple of Harry Potter oh, movies. Which is a John Williams yeah. connection. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, John Williams do. Yeah. Uh-huh. The score for Harry Potter. How did they get John Williams to do Home Alone in the first place? Because that's such a radically different but movie. It's a, that song, though, there's something in my memory. It's just such a beautiful song. I mean, I John Williams is... Uh, yeah. I'm just wondering how he they got him for this, because it's not and like also, he was... And also, you know, if that scene... You know, it's funny, because I watched this movie initially yeah. when it came out, I remember it was such a huge big deal seeing it as a kid. I, I saw it from, from Macaulay Culkin's perspective. How cool would it be to be alone, and that's so awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, you watch it as, as a, you know, a grown woman, and you see it from the more realistic adult perspective... And, you know, the first question I have is, oh, my God, what do they do for a living? How do they afford that house? How can they pay for everybody to go to Paris? That's right. besides the point. They're really rich. They're really rich. And they make, they, they make <laughs> only one point that riches is, is uh, they drive by, uh, the robbers drive, the wet bandits drive by mm-hmm. the house, and they say, like, that's the gold standard. Mm-hmm. On the, the golden the block. tuna, they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they make it, that's the only comment they make, it like, oh, these people are loaded. But the scene where Catherine O'Hara first gets home, it's Christmas morning, and Macaulay Culkin's down. Is he by the Christmas tree? I think he's like standing by the Christmas yeah. tree, isn't he? And, she, and she's just real quiet and kind of like afraid almost to approach him. And it's just so sweet the way he looks at her because he, he almost looks like he's mad, you know, like, and then and then they just both start crying and he runs over and hugs her. I mean, that's just so sweet, you know. How underappreciated is Catherine O'Hara oh, as an actress? Because yeah. I think she's right up there with Gilda Radner and Adeline Kahn. Like, there's one of the best comic actresses in history. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her in so many different movies. And comic, comedians like us, people who do comedy, who, who look into this, mm-hmm. we all know how great she is. I wish the mainstream maybe recognized that as much as, as we do. Oh, she's yeah. phenomenal. And, mm-hmm. yeah, she's she's great. And she plays it, I mean, she doesn't play it straight, but she plays the sympathetic She acts, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, yeah, the lineman, when she's on the phone, I love when she steals the phone from that French lady. She's like, hello? Hello? Yeah. Whenever she, whenever. Yeah. She, you know, she has, like, that shrill voice. Yeah, <laughs> and she has one of the best performances of Beetlejuice, too, on top of oh, that. She's you know, amazing. She's, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so my number two. Oh, how about oh. when they go to the police station? When she calls the police station? <laughs> yes, I'd like you to go and check my son. Whatever. Just yeah. that whole scene is just so funny. Oh, and by the way, 1990 was a great year for Joe Pesci because he had this and Goodfellas the same year. Oh, That's yeah. a pretty loaded. Yeah, awesome. bank. <laughs> yeah that was a that was a, a totally. big cash cow year for Joe Pesci. Uh, he was greatness too. Yeah. Uh, so was Daniel Daniel Stern. Yeah. So my number two... Oh, just on a side note, they'd totally be dead if any of those things happened. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> okay, enough said. It's a fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no doubt. There would, no, there would be no survivor. It will be a horror film, essentially. Yeah. I would not want to watch the actual real-life ramifications yeah. of that. <laughs> just the iron to the head alone. Yeah, what a, what a monster. <gasps> uh, number two for me, uh, this is going to start a trend for the end of my list, uh, is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which was on my... 
Christmas list, and now it ends yeah, up Home here. Alone was on my Christmas list, I think. Yeah, too. it was on my Christmas list. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of that series, but at least two movies in that series, which we'll get to shortly. But uh, I, I don't want to repeat what I said on the Christmas list, other than you know I loved. I think it's one of Chevy Chase's best roles. I think it's one of Randy Quaid, certainly probably his biggest mm-hmm. comedic role, and uh, you know just a really funny movie. You can probably check out most of my comments on that in full from mm-hmm. the Christmas podcast, but definitely would be number two. I can't lie about the the rankings. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's one of my favorite. I think it was number. It was on my Christmas rankings. I don't remember what. You have to go back. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, if if you want to watch one Randy Quaid, Randy Quaid performance, that's the this movie to it. watch on screen. Too. On screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not off screen. If you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, another actor that we can't that is completely deteriorated. Right. And Chevy Chase on top of that. Yeah, Chevy so. Chase, yeah, there's a man. It's amazing what stuff does to you, but uh Yeah, Chevy Chase is so cute in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah he's he is. perfect. Perfect, pitch perfect. Um I think I mentioned it before, but I love the scene where he's watching the old movies in the mm-hmm. attic. That's one of the most like kind of more Dramatic, like yeah. uh, emotional scenes that Chevy's ever done. And he's not known as an emotional actor. That's that's a really good scene. Yeah, it's a relatable. You just the nostalgia hit you. And... Yeah, and also tie, and also pulling in the the importance of the holidays, family, yeah. you know, and that mm. tradition of past. And um, yeah, if you really like Chevy Chase, I highly recommend checking out 1995's Man of the House <laughs> with Chevy Chase and a one Jonathan Taylor Thomas. JTT. I, I will say this, and this is sincere too. If you if you love Chevy Chase and it's a movie that deserves a bigger audience, check out 1988's Funny Farm, which is a terrific comedy. It's one of the best movies he ever made. If especially if you like the vacation movies, and a lot of it, it there's a lot of hijinks. It's kind of like the Newhart TV show okay, with a lot of the yeah. the crazy small town people. Uh, but when it gets into the relationship between him and his wife in that movie, and I her. Her name eludes me right now. She's great in the film. It becomes fantastic. So highly recommend everybody check out Funny Farm if you love Chevy Chase. Yes. So Ms. Is it you? No, I already gave mine. Okay, so we're on number one. You're going to number two. I already gave my number two is Home Alone. Oh, that's right. So okay, so we're at number yeah. one now. All right. What's your number two? Yeah. My number two was Uncle Buck. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. <laughs> this we're is the listening order. skills of, of me... Have have really deteriorated. So I, I apologize. I, I think I think uh, Sean and I are on the same page here. Yeah. So. Well, then why don't we do you first, and we'll save the very best John Hughes movie, Mike Pick. Yeah, you can yeah. Be last. go ahead. You we'll cover both of ours. Yes. So which... uh, yeah, so our number one is Vacation. Yes, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So, and this is this is the movie that probably made John Hughes. I'm sure. Like, like a big name writer like he wrote Mr. Mom but this is the movie that they came out the same year yeah. and and one caveat with Mr. Mom it, it, it launched the career of one of my absolute favorite actors Michael Keaton so we have to give that and oh my, was this was that before uh, uh, Night Shift and came out in 82 and then but Michael uh, Keaton this is his start like he was this is his first leading role in a comedy yeah. yeah that and it was a huge hit Oh, I want to bring up my dad's favorite line from this movie because he mentioned it this week: uh, 220, 221, whatever it takes for Mr. Mom." Yeah, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, Mr. Mom's fun. It's it's not. The only reason I put it on there is because it's Michael a John Hughes film. Yeah. We could talk about it, Mr. Mom, but uh, um, uh, I, there is a there is another similarity between Mr. Mom and, and Vacation. They both have slow motion running scenes where the chariots of fire music is played. That's right, they do. 
<laughs> I read that today, and I was like, wow. Holy shit. <laughs> That's a trope, if there yeah. ever was one. And I guess that was new at the time. When did Chariots of Fire come out? 81? That was 81, yeah. yeah. So that was fairly new. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this... this um... That is such an 80s trope. Yeah, yeah it is. Chariots of Fire? Do, do, yeah. Do, 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 do. yeah. I love, in this movie, I love that trope. And this is, of course, a movie I'd love to do a deep dive into eventually. But I love, uh, I love the scene where he starts beating anthony michael hall like he notices like he just starts taking off to beat him in the race you know what I'm yeah talking about? yeah 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 where he's just like running and uh well there's there's the beer scene but i mean it his scenes with anthony michael hall are great they're fantastic uh the scene where he's giving a eulogy yeah. for <laughs> the dead corpse is amazing uh i think uh beverly d'angelo is underappreciated i in was these just movies. gonna say yeah. that about the christmas vacation i think she's so subtle and brilliant upper arlington's own uh-huh. she gives sparky uh uh-huh. is a great yeah. nickname uh-huh. uh, they have great chemistry and, they and, do oh, absolutely. they're totally believable as right. like a married couple and beverly and d'angelo has to show a lot of herself in that movie in certain scenes but she still plays a mom character mm-hmm. she still plays talking about the nude you know semi-nude to nude scenes but she's still they're not going to give that to christy brinkley by the way (laughs) she's too famous uh but uh i really love their chemistry and that's what really drives that series is the chemistry between those two yeah, and another great John Candy performance, by the way, is the. <laughs> I know he's been in almost like all of our movies. Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall, John Candy. You got the yeah. John Hughes. I I, I talked uh, to my parents about this, but John Candy is terrific with kids in movies because he connects with them. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in Vacation when he's with Anthony Anthony Michael Hall and they're getting on the roller coaster. He goes, "I've never been on this before." A lot of actors kind of they don't connect with kids the way he does, mm-hmm. and he does it with Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. And he does it with Anthony Michael Hall. Well, even here. in Great Outdoors, remember like the two little weird twin girls that were his nieces, and he goes yeah. and saves them. And yeah. he's just them, great he with kids. He doesn't talk down to them. He doesn't yeah. talk to them like their kids. Because he has a childlike quality. Yeah, that's that's a gift he has as an actor. Absolutely. He's terrific mm-hmm. with with child actors. Mm-hmm. I've, I, he's one of the best. Yeah. yeah. Another person that does that, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. does that too, where it's like he doesn't talk down to kids. He just talks to them. That's the key. It's not yeah. to talk yeah, down you, to them. You just don't talk, you know, like, hey, I, it's like, hey, you know, like you talk to them like an adult and they, mm-hmm. kids really perk up when they do it because mm-hmm. that's all they want to be is an Absolutely. adult. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. But yeah, this, if you're. He's a, just so lovable, John Candy. I think it's hard yeah. not to love him. No, he's, he's amazing. One of the best comic yeah. actors we've ever had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh. There's an unbelievable point, though, when they start playing that video game. <laughs> when he's doing the travel uh, itinerary on the video game and they start playing it. Like, it never made sense to me because I play video games. I never saw, like, a travel itinerary. <laughs> Not only that, but the way they take it over. But it still makes me laugh because they yeah, take it over. Still it's still done beautifully well, even if it's not realistic. It, they still find the comic points in that. I'm sure you want to talk about... You know, oh, the, the, Probably your favorite scene in this movie. Well, one of them, like uh, yeah. it's the opening scene with Eugene Levy yeah. as the car salesman. Oh I like, 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 Levy. Karen, uh, <laughs> like Catherine O'Hara. We're going through the entire uh, Shit's Creek <laughs> cast yes. here, uh, or any of John Candy, yeah. SETV, yes. Christopher Guest movies. However, uh, the scene when Eugene Levy plays the car salesman is the best car salesman scene in any film ever. Especially he goes, well, I don't know what happened. And the guy goes, what happened? And he just shrugs. He goes, I know what happened. It didn't come in. <laughs> he goes, you might hate it now, but wait till you drive it. Uh, I love, love, love that scene in that performance. 
Speaking of Christopher Guest, at some point we're going to have to do a deep dive in Best in Show. Oh, and Waiting for Guffman, too, yeah. we'll have to do eventually. <laughs> but yeah. I think of Eugene Lovey really shining in Best in Show. Yes. Yeah, oh. With his two left feet. Uh, <laughs> Guffman. And Catherine O'Hara. Doesn't she uh, play his wife? Yes, she does. Yeah. They're, they're great. Oh, I, I, so I'm thinking fun. of Guffman because what? there's. Uh, I, I could go off on that movie because yeah. I just watched some of it recently. Parker Posey. Best uh, in Show has got to be one of the greatest comedies ever. And yeah. if you don't think so, then you haven't seen it. <laughs> My dad would, would attest I mean, to that. It's, it's brilliant. My dad will attest to that, especially Fred Willard. So that's, oh, uh, they're all. Yeah, Fred Willard. They're all um, so good, though, in that yeah, movie. I mean, there's, are, not, right. there's not a couple that you can't laugh at. It's a brilliant, yeah. it's a brilliant yeah. movie. So, um, my number one was obviously the exact same thing as Scott's as we covered. Which is always the case for the Wheeler Brothers. <laughs> that is. We're coming for the same gene pool and yeah. the same, we were raised on the same film. I thought film. the Sean's list is like a combination of yours the and bottom mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I combine your sensibilities into one. <laughs> no one had weird science or Uncle Buck on Nobody had Pinocchio. <laughs> so, yeah. my honorable mention was Uncle Buck, but Scott covered pretty much why that would be, because my mom loves that movie, so... But, Tony, uh, you have the floor for number one. Well, I don't think it's any surprise here, fellas, that my favorite John Hughes movie is Pretty in Pink. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't surprise (laughs) me. Um, I just, I I identify so much with this movie. Uh, I love the character of Andy and Molly Ringwald. Just, I feel like it's her playing her, which is neat. Um, I love the Annie Potts character. Um, Of course, Andrew McCarthy. He's like one of my 80s crushes, and he's just... So sweet is playing like that shy beta, you know, kind of boyfriend. Um, I don't know. I love the whole, you know, right side, wrong side of the tracks, which I think was very, uh, very prominent in the 80s with the different socioeconomical classes that were present. You know, you had your rich preppy kids and then your punks or your poor kids or whatever. So I think it really ties in nicely to what was going on at the time. But there's also a timeless element to the story where you have a guy and a girl who really like each other. It's kind of that Romeo and Juliet quality. Mm-hmm. Guy and girl from different parts of the ta- town, you know, that like each other, but for whatever reason, it may not work out. They've got their friends veering against them. And then um, in the end, they overcome that all and decide that they want to be together. Um, of course, the character of Duckies, amazing, you know, John mm-hmm. Cryer. It's just a really classic movie. And I think... I think when a lot of people think of John Hughes, they think of Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, and Pretty in Pink. And I think the main thing there is Molly Ringwald. Mm -hmm. She was his muse. And I think nothing is more John Candy than, you know, Molly Ringwald. Um, you mean John Hughes? I, I'm sorry, yeah, John Hughes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, John Hughes. Is, is Molly That's Ringwald. a great comment in and of yeah, itself, it though. Um, you know, there's just something about this movie that really resonates. I love the fact that it's a strong female lead. I love the fact that she's not your pretty, popular, preppy, un- unidentifiable girl. If anything, she's incredibly relatable. She was independent. You know, she had the after-school job, took care of her family, had a had a guy as a best friend that had a crush on her. I mean, all those things are so so reminiscent of my upbringing and mm-hmm. definitely how I operated when I was a you know, senior in high school. The thr- how she shops at thrift stores and, and likes fashion and was very crafty. She was... Um, very true to herself and had a lot of self-respect and I I love watching that movie now because I think a lot of I think young girls need they need to watch this movie mm-hmm. you know they need to know that it's okay that you don't have to conform to get a guy to like you you can be you right and if he's the right guy he's gonna come around um, but uh, yeah I, I love that she didn't compromise that 
for a guy. She didn't dumb herself down. She didn't change the way she looked. You know, the character of Andy was so ahead of her time, but also of her time. You know, she was more mature than a lot of the people that she went to school with. She was an old soul. You know, I identify with all of those things. And so this movie really hits home with me because in some ways it's, it's kind of like watching me in high school. Mm-hmm. I have an interesting question to ask you about this, yeah. and this is only because, uh, being that it's a John Hughes podcast, we should probably talk about it, but uh, what is it about Pretty in Pink that resonates with you in a way that maybe Sixteen Candles didn't? Because I know that's one of his most iconic mm-hmm. films, and none of us had it on our list. Yeah. So what is it about Pretty in Pink that you think stands out among that for you personally? For me personally, it's, it's, the, it's the characters. This movie's way more character-driven than Sixteen Candles. Sixteen Candles is just a, it's a wild ride. It's that night of debauchery that, you know, the whole Jake Ryan liking her character in Sixteen Candles is not believable. He didn't even know her. Mm-hmm. He didn't spend mm-hmm. any time with her. He liked the fact that she liked him. It was really shallow, I felt like. And it was, I mean, there are a lot of things wrong with Sixteen Candles that we could easily dive into, but just to tip the surface, there's so much sexism, racism. Yeah. That movie could not really be made today, and, and I just never really liked it. Even when I was a kid, I just never, I never felt like Sixteen Candles was that believable, um, with the exception of the family dynamic, with the big sister getting married and the grandparents coming into town. You know, you can obviously relate to the chaos of that. Um, but I just never felt like it was believable. This movie, for me, Pretty in Pink, meaning, is believable. And like I said, in some ways, I, I feel like it's, it's a very loose, you know, version of, of who I was in high school. I mean, I wore the vintage clothes. I had the old Mustang. I had my job. I was mature, an old soul. All the, I was so much like Andy. You know, Andy had that really, I don't know what the year make a model of it, but that odd pink car. Like she just stood out. But she was her own person. Mm-hmm. And I just identify so much with that, especially when I was in high school. Um, then, you know, the, the elements of her being, liking the thrift store shopping and the fashion and, and not being afraid to go after what she wanted. And um, she was very grounded in her emotion. She was emotionally um, intellectual, the mm-hmm. character was. Um, I don't know. And this movie just seemed believable to me. And then you have the, the Ducky character and, and um, Iona. Annie Potts, who I love Annie Potts. Yes. She's just mm-hmm. so fun in this movie. It just, something about it jives. It just works for me. When I watch it, the soundtrack's great. All the, every, I mean, not just the If You Leave song, which I know is what this movie was known for, but, um, I don't know. It's just, the way that that scene touches you in Planes, Trains, this movie, it impacts me. Yeah. I could watch it anytime, all the time. It's actually on Netflix right now for those who want to watch it. It is, yeah. That's how I got um, to see The Breakfast Club. <laughs> I think, well, I, I love the aesthetics of this movie, too, obviously, because there's so much pink in it. Mm-hmm. But there's a glossy quality, very much like Breakfast at Tiffany's. There's almost a glossiness to it. Oh, okay. If you watch it, you'll see what I mean. Um, it's almost like a fairy tale. There's a fairy tale quality, you know, of the underdog girl kind of getting the, the guy, mm-hmm. um, but also staying true to herself, yeah, and not giving that up. And and I love the line. I think, oh, I just love it when she makes her prom dress, which is awesome. She totally takes control of the situation, makes her dress, and then when she comes downstairs and her dad 
is like, oh, you look beautiful. And they have that whole exchange. And he says, I thought you weren't going to go. And she says, I just want them to know they didn't break me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's awesome. Like, we need more teenage women, characters like that for girls today to to emulate and look up to. Mm-hmm. You know, she she was... I don't know. I just think it's, it's a fantastic character. Yeah, I, I admit I haven't seen Pretty in Pink enough to have a full, fully formed opinion on it, but I know a lot of people, especially women I know, mm-hmm. love the movie, and they seem to favor it among some of his other mm-hmm. films. Like, I feel like there's a bigger resurgence for it now mm-hmm. than there used to be. Uh, I know John Cryer, it was a big break for him yeah, as Ducky. Yeah, so cute as Ducky. And it isn't, uh, uh, James Spader obviously is in it. Yes. yes playing James the yuppie. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, good as yeah. the yuppie. And Andrew McCarthy, who I've always loved. I mean, we talked about, man- we did a podcast on Mannequin. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I loved Andrew McCarthy. I still do. And, mm-hmm. and and that was the kind of guy that I go after. That sort of shy, quiet, quiet you know, like, that's what I mean. I just, in some ways, it's almost like a, a Hollywood heightened version of my experiences you know in high school to a certain extent Mm -hmm. um do you think that she ended up with the right person at the end absolutely yeah she was she was never in love with ducky ducky was her best friend and and that's okay you know and i think he i think at the end it was beautiful that he was there for her when she walked in and and he accepted her she accepted him and and he was generally happy for her you know that moment after Andrew McCarthy's character Blaine says, "Hey, I love you," and he she says, "You know, I, he says I always believed in you. You didn't believe in me." Mm-hmm. And um, and then he walks. He whispers, "I love you," and walks away. And then Ducky says, "You know, he came alone." You know, and then mm-hmm. he said, "He's like, if you don't go after him, you know," and he kind of makes it light. But but I think it's really sweet because again, it's a great story of friendship too. Meaning, you know, just because Ducky is madly in love with her doesn't mean that she has to just settle for him. And not for the guy she felt the true, deep connection with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so cool and so big of Ducky that his love for her as a person and a friend is so great that he supports that and, and is okay with it. You know, and then at the end, it, he kind of breaks the fourth wall and looks at the camera when the girl's like smiling at him. Mm-hmm. And then he like looks at the camera and he's like, me? And then, so it's, it tells you that he's going to be okay. Yeah. He's moving on, you know. But that they still have that friendship. He pulls a Casablanca on her. Yeah. <laughs> he does a Bogart. You know. Uh-huh. No, but I think it's, I think it's really sweet. And, and I think it's a great... Um, again, going back to almost all of the themes that are present in John Hughes movies, the power of friendship, family, love, respecting yourself. And staying true to yourself. That's this true. This movie has all of that. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. I think we got through our list. Yeah, we did. We did. We got through the list. And it's also got the psychedelic fur singing pretty in pink. What more do you need in life than that? No, I I think those are, that's a great summation of John Hughes. And I'm sure listeners have their own personal favorite lists and stuff. But that's ours. Mm -hmm. We stand by it. Yes. We'll we'll, we'll fight to the death with anybody who challenges us (laughs) on it. Uh, But there you go. so I want to thank everybody as usual for being mm-hmm. on the podcast. We have no guest to thank this week, no. so John Hughes. John spirit. Hughes is in spirit. Yes, we can thank him for all of his <laughs> his work and the the gifts and movies Absolutely. that he left us with. Do you guys have anything to plug? No, just mm-hmm. at the Nest Theater uh, on the weekends. Whenever, if you go, you might see me. <laughs> it's a great plug I'm sure people will... the Nest Theater is awesome for anyone who's never been a really great place yes um, awesome improv good people 
Absolutely. I, I would attest to that. Scott and I have a few gigs coming up, I think, in the next few months there as an opening act. Yeah, so, so we're there from time to time. Oh, I have to say this, just getting back to Pretty in Pink. The scene when they're in the library and they're doing the computer thing, you guys are looking at me because you haven't seen it. Okay, anyway, it's just so sweet. And it, like, <laughs> so there's, he's like Andrew McCarthy's character sitting, there's yeah. like this wall kind of like, like a, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A cubicle type mm-hmm. wall, so it's not to the ceiling between them and he's like instant me- like early version of instant messaging her and and she thinks it's ducky she's like ducky i'm busy i can't talk and he says who's ducky and she's like who is this and then all of a sudden like a photo of his character pops up and she's just like smiling because she has a crush mm-hmm. on him and and then she's like do you know who i am and then a photo of her pops up and then she just like smiles her big and it's really sweet and then all of a sudden she kind of like stands up to look around and that's right he's not ne- he's like a couple down from her and then he stands up and they just smile at each other and it's just so high school and it like yeah. it just evokes all of those feelings of mm. when you had that crush and you realize he likes yeah. you too and that excitement and I don't know I just feel like I'm in high school again when I watch this which is always fun and okay I'm done no no that's great that's great uh Believe me, the Wheeler Brothers know they're pretty in pink. If you come up to us, we should be able to talk about Everybody it quiz them. And, and I have to just stress again before we close, if anyone knows that song in the great outdoors, please let me know. Yes. That's going to be our big factor. If you if you know this, please uh, respond to us immediately. <laughs> One night, Sean searched the internet, or excuse me, Scott searched the internet, ravishly trying to find this. Yes, I was on a mission, but I had to give up because unsuccessful. Well, thank you once again for everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed our lists. And if you have any debates, like I said, please uh, you know, challenge us, if you will. Uh, yeah. And also continue to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and yes. give us likes and, yeah. and continue to listen to us. And we'll uh, venture on from here. So thank you, everybody, and see you next time. Bye. Bye. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. It's not that I condone fascism. Or any ism, for that matter. Isms, in my opinion, are not good. A person should not believe in an ism... He should believe in himself. I quote John Lennon, I don't believe in Beatles, I just believe in me. A good point there. After all, he was the walrus. I could be the walrus, I'd still have to bum rides off of people.